a nice ominous voice, which comes with the clicking of recording. And... <laughs> Died. Welcome to Yelling at Concrete Podcast, Amy. Hello. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Very welcome. Happy you could join us. Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, I. I think I contacted you quite a while back to say. Yeah, yeah. Then I got COVID and it kind of, I went AWOL for a little bit. <laughs> I mean, that will take you out, I'm told. Um, yeah, you know, a little bit. <laughs> it's, it's not quite the cold we expected it to be. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> but you're better now, right? You, you... Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm fun- functioning. Functioning's a good word to describe it. <laughs> back in the world of a living. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's good. Uh, I'm terrible at introducing people, so I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Uh, if you could tell the people who you are and what you do. Yeah, so my name's Amy. Uh, I write a blog about Shropshire history, Shropshire folklore, and anything that's a bit weird and wonderful that happens in Shropshire and then the wider kind of area. I am interested in folklore of Britain in general, but I'm coming from Shropshire, I kind of am very interested in the weird and wonderful that we have to offer. <laughs> no, that makes sense. Uh, we do have some American listeners, so can you tell them where Shropshire is? Because I doubt they know. Yeah, most people <laughs> in England don't even know. So Shropshire is between Wales. You've got Wales on one side, and then you've got like Birmingham and the Greater Midlands on the other side. Um, so we're kind of a border county. Um, we're quite far from London, <laughs> so that's kind of a general. But we are in pr- pretty much the middle of the country. Um, neither neither south nor north, kind of. It's- I mean, it's, Birmingham is, is black country, right? Yeah, yeah. We're on the out, like the part of Shropshire I grew up in is the outskirts of the black country. So we, right. it's quite for a countryside area. It's quite industrial, so we do have like that black country influence. Um, if you go further down into Shropshire, it's more like the blue remembered hills and kind of all. Oh, her likes a good hang and I does that kind of thing. <laughs> Um, but we do have quite a lot of Welsh influence because yeah. in like the medieval period in particular, we couldn't stop having wars with the Welsh and they happen to be in Shropshire, a lot of them. Right. So it's quite cool. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, no, I, I think we we run that curse of being English of when you mention England to people who aren't from England. You say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm from here. And if it's not London, their faces just go blank. Yeah. I have no idea where that is. Yeah. The best I ever had was at university. Because uh, I went to university in the northwest, and I've kind of just right. stayed up here. Um, and so I said, "Oh, I'm from Shropshire," and they looked at me and they went, "Oh, yeah, that's in that's in Scotland, isn't it?" And I'm I'm kind of for a start, I was like, "Do I sound <laughs> Scottish?" Like I had more of an accent back then, so it was kind of like, "No, <laughs> it's not." That's great. Not. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm in I'm on I'm on yeah, literally the opposite coast to you because I'm in Lincolnshire. Uh, yeah, yeah. So again, and I'm originally from Scunthorpe, so that's like North Lincolnshire. It's not even like proper Lincolnshire because Lincolnshire rejected that part of the nation. <laughs> not, yeah, nobody wanted Scunthorpe, so it was just <laughs> <laughs> get rid of that. And you, you try and delve into it, and you're like, yeah, no, I'm just going to say I'm from Lincoln. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to yeah keep it default. Be fine. Not Be fine. People. But no, no. I mean, I, I was so I was reading. I did a look because I like you say, like a lot of people don't know where Shropshire is. I did. I did look it up to confirm in my head where it was <laughs> yeah because i'm terrible at geography anyway um and my knowledge of the west coast of england is very slim yeah it's like it's like blackpool and liverpool and manchester and that's pretty much yeah till cornwall there's nothing else <laughs> yeah but you, yeah you, you're kind of like slap bang in the middle of like a crossover point yeah yeah and uh, quite traditionally even going back as far as the romans um 
people tend to go through Shropshire and not really spend much time there. So even the Roman time, the old Roman road that went from Holyhead in Wales all the way down to London just kind of went through Shropshire. And I think we've suffered from that stereotype ever since is the idea that it's somewhere you might go through to get to Wales or you might go through if you're Welsh to get to England. And there's actually like such a lot of history and stuff actually happening there. Um, And I think it's that's one of the things that delved me into doing my blog in lockdown was kind of the idea of I knew I wanted to write and I knew I wanted to write about history but kind of like the weirder kind of because I'm I'm an ex-goth so it was (laughs) it was naturally that was what I was drawn to um and then I was like oh wait no I'm from um let's talk about some of the things that happened in Shropshire there's there's a few weird stuff and some of it's a bit metal and a bit cool and then it snowballed from there really you be an ex-goth I I, I don't think I say that but you know (laughs) put a bit of bow house on and I'm I'm just as bad <laughs> that's one of those things like as soon as you've punched the card to be like yeah I'm part yeah. of goth you, you can't get out like, no oh no it's I, part-time I think now I like I like comfy clothes slightly too much but you know give me the opportunity around Halloween I'm in the graveyard casual goth. The grave. yeah, yeah yeah cozy like, goth <laughs> yeah like, a, like 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 when you get bikers who are super into bikes and then they're like weekend riders you know, yeah like, yeah I yeah still, still own the coat I just don't throw it on every day because, yeah you know, you know I'm, I'm in my 40s and <laughs> got two I, kids or something yeah yeah I, I, I mean that's, this is a segue completely but I, I, I did I mean presumably heard about Anne Rice passing yes, away today. yeah yeah and I was saying to a friend of mine who's super into literature I, like, I assumed Anne Rice had passed on years ago yeah I to be honest I read her in my teens I read her really before I'd read anything gothic vampire literature I hadn't quite got the idea of reading uh Dracula yet but I'd seen all the Hammer horror films and I read Anne, Anne Rice and I was kind of like probably a little bit too young to really be reading some of it and I th- it definitely made an impact on me um but I thought she'd passed away years ago to be honest but it's it is sad and it's nice to see how much of an impact on the wider not just the people you'd expect to have read her and to have been influenced by her but like the wider world sort of thing yeah I think she was she was definitely one of those writers who I mean every teenage goth reads Anne Rice and watches an interview with Vampire because that that influences you hugely yeah it always surprises me the amount of people who aren't into Gothic subculture or anything like that. I'm just like, yeah, no, I've read Anne Rice. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah, it, it's definitely a conversation starter, isn't it? It's definitely it, it's, it peaks that interest. But that, though, I mean, those are books with a long history of looking at the mythos of various different regions. Yeah, her, her being from New Orleans and and diving into that. But you, you've you've studied history, right? You've got... yes, um, I did my degree in history. Um, that was many moons ago. So I've I've, I've always been interested in kind of social history as a wider thing and kind of people people fascinate me um and I think that's again molds well with the folklore is that you've got the it's almost like the hidden history the the kind of there's there's all this stuff going on but then we're actually still doing this and I like that about folklore but I was very into medieval history but like your paganism your vikings your anglo-saxons anything that kind of was like early pre-1066 was kind of my jam yeah I mean, you're, so to say, you're, you're the second person I know who's a historical subject and has been on the podcast for 2022. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, 
um, spoke to um, oh my god, the name escapes me, but she did uh, Gothic literature of the nineteenth uh, century Gothic literature. Yeah, that's I, cool. I asked her the question of why why getting into history, why why not just dive straight into you know the the mythos of it all? Why why go to the facts? Um, I think I've, <coughs> I think for me it's that connection to the people and to the stories. I I think I've probably always been interested in folklore and, and mythology and that kind of thing before I even really knew what it was. Because mm-hmm. um, I grew up in a family that were very in, interested in the stories of the, my area. Um, you know, I've, I, I tell this story often, but I have a, my granddad um, believed that he met the devil in um okay. Ironbridge churchyard he was playing cards one sunday when he should have been in church and the devil came and gave him a big telling off and told him that if he carried on he would be seeing a lot more of the devil uh and my granddad never picked up a pack of cards again and if he saw us doing anything game related um on a sunday even when like xbox and things like that were a thing he would be like no no you can't do that the, the devil will get you and then he tell us this cautionary story and in reality it was probably just an adult that looked a bit kind of scary but that idea of these like stories that almost become official history was very much in my earlier life Mm -hmm. and I'm very fortunate as well in Shropshire we have an abundance of kind of medieval ruins and you know just down the road from me we had the Iron Bridge which I've never been interested in industrial history really but it's the birthplace of the industrial revolution mm-hmm. um so i grew up in an area that was very saturated with history so i think naturally i was more drawn to it um and things like i'm a big lord of the rings fan that naturally piqued my curiosity for like anglo-saxon history and things like that so i think i my influence is my area my interest in literature and fantasy inevitably drew me to study history and i had a really cool history teacher called ralph that was just <laughs> he was cool i like that, I like that. yeah um, though I, you have now just like triggered a memory in my head of my my other history teachers and how boring they were yeah oh ralph was <laughs> ralph was he was about five foot five bless him and he was just really cool he was just he knew about everything and the way he taught history it was like really interesting so I think it's always kind of interested me and I was just like no I want to study that yeah I I, I find it interesting how people kind of get into subjects um, I mean like you you know I, I've had a, a vested interest in kind of stories and and storytelling as it yeah. were and and play yourself into, into the fantasy side of it and and looking at those things but I never went down the route of looking up local. You yeah. Know, like like I Lincolnshire, North Lincolnshire has a quite a, quite deep folklore. And I it just never occurred to me. It never no. even kind of picked up because my my viewpoint of was looking at stories and going, Well, I could make stories. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I think to be honest, it was quite subcon- subconscious for me. Mm. Like I didn't necessarily set out to write about Shropshire um because I I left Shropshire at 18 yeah. went to university and then I've never really gone back I've never lived in Shropshire since I was eight well 18 19 um but during the lockdown I'd kind of set myself a little challenge oh, I'm going to start writing again because life had gotten you know you, you you have these dreams when you're a teenager and then <laughs> you end up doing everything but that and I was like, what are cool stories? And I, the, one of the first blog posts I wrote about was the Sin Eaters in Shropshire. And there's the Sin Eating is like an overall tradition 
Mm. Um, there's arguments how much it actually happened. I tend to believe that it probably did happen a fair bit more than we realise um, in ruralised communities. But because it was outlawed by the Catholic Church and then later on uh, the Church of England, if you were seen to be doing it, it was a sin and you'd have ended up like getting the full force of the law behind it. Um, so I knew that we had a tradition of sin eating in Shropshire through things I'd read and different literature I'd read. Uh, so I really explored that, um, in particular, a chap called Richard Munslow, who was the last sin eater. So sin eating is this ritual where you tend to, if you've died without having the proper last rites, somebody will come into the house where the body's laid out and they'll have like a ritual meal over you, over your body. So it's usually bread and wine and they say little prayers and the food is meant to take on the sin. So the sin, the person eating the food is taking all of the sins of that person who's deceased. So then they can have a proper Christian burial and everything's fine and dandy and it stops ghosts coming into the community. But that sin eater has to carry those sins forever. So they tend to accumulate them over their life. And unfortunately, there's no sin eater for the sin eater. So when they pass away, they're kind of forsaking their place in heaven or whatever um, in order to, you know, have this thing in the community and to do this duty in the community. And traditionally, sin eaters tend to be paupers or people that may have had mental health problems or people that were destitute and down and out. However, Richard Munslow was a wealthy farmer in of quite a well-off area of Shropshire mm-hmm. and he resurrected the practice and that's one of the reasons why I think um, the practice was probably more well known of, about in the past than what we know about it now yeah. it's because he would have had to have known about this practice in order to resurrect it yeah um, and he he actually lost three of his children they all died oh. within two weeks of each other um, and that drove him to become a sin eater and he eventually obviously passed himself but he he didn't do it for money or for food or for any of the reasons why the more traditional ones would do he did it just because he wanted to probably find a way to deal with his own grief um and I'd known of that story prior to writing the blog and that was the first one I explored and I found that people were interested in it and interested about Shropshire because a lot like like we said a lot of people are kind of like well where is this place is it is it near Bag End is it <laughs> you know that it's it's got this almost quasi-mythological idea because no one's heard of it and I found myself turning back to Shropshire a lot more when yeah. I sat to write like I did write about Vikings and more kind of straightforward history things um, but then I kept having ideas about Shropshire and I kept exploring it and I think it, it was my way of reconnecting with my home as well and reconnecting with where I'd, I'd grown up and my experiences. And then it kind of just snowballed and now it's all I talk about. <laughs> I do like the idea of like Shropshire not being necessarily part of the UK though. And maybe you have to go through like a portal to get yeah. there. You have yeah, to that pass would be through cool. Birmingham to like, Birmingham's it. a portal in itself, isn't it? Bless it. It's civilization for me growing up, Birmingham, which yeah. you know, it says a lot. I mean, everyone has has a place like that. I think for for us, we we used to go to Doncaster, and that yeah. was that was the biggest thing in the world. You, you go <laughs> you go to a major city, and you live in a small town. It's <laughs> oh, one more step, Mister Frodo. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. You just remind me. I've actually seen a film about Sydney 
um the order i think it's got heath ledger in it oh i've not seen that yeah yeah and that 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 tracks like the horror of of kind of sitting but yeah i I was reading your your um one of your posts before about uh, monks and knights and accepting their their sins and yeah something which i'd never never heard of literally oh yeah that's cool and i thought that was really interesting of of people passing on their burden yeah i think it was it was mutually beneficial for both people in the medieval period is the knights could go and do terrible things in the name of Christianity and the country and the monks could make an awful lot of money by going oh yes we'll pray for you we'll take on those sins and I think the more you look into things like Sin Eaton there's probably variations of the practice in all societies and cultures like I was talking to somebody briefly um, not long after I published that and they said that in the Appalachians there's actually Sin Eaton is a is a folklore and a, a piece of folklore in the Appalachians mm. and that's a million miles away from Shropshire like it's so far removed from the area and things so it, it shows that you know these things can be universal and I think that's one of the great things about folklore that you don't necessarily get in history because mm. traditional history tends to be oh this is the fact and in 1842 you know yeah. and in folklore I can tell the same story as somebody else but it will mean something different to me and it will resonate differently with me and it will also be told differently and that doesn't matter. That enhances the quality of it and I really like that. Yeah, definitely. I think when when folklore is involved or myth and legend, it, it does make, it increases the engagement factor of things and it makes them more memorable as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely think so. And I think it also adds life to an area especially with rural communities and small mm. communities. Um, like some of the, the, I write a lot about ghost stories and kind of pa- general paranormal weirdness. Yeah. And some of the smallest areas, like there's a place called East Hope, which is on Wenlock Edge. And it's a tiny little village. It's one that you could quite easily go through and not really pay much attention. But there's, a, there's an old church, but, some of the ghost stories there show you how much life has actually been lived there mm-hmm. um and it's the home to one of my favorite hauntings it's got two big burly monks that like to punch each other and fight uh still they they absolutely hated each other in life but they were both sent from the local monastery to collect the taxes right. so they were kind of like right okay we can squirrel a bit of the taxes away and put up with each other and what they would do is they'd go collect the taxes get really really drunk and enjoy all the pleasures of being outside of a monastery and then go back and pretend that none of that had happened but not really communicate with each other other than having the odd argument um and then the one time the taxation was more for some reason there was more taxes being collected and these monks were sent they had an argument on the way but it was more to do with who was going to pocket the extra money um they got there got all the taxes got really, really drunk, had a big argument, which resulted in a punch-up. They had this massive fight, rolled down a flight of stairs together, still paggering each other. Um, and then they both knocked their little noodles in and ended up dying at the same time. And they still enact that to this day. They can be seen in the the churchyard just beating the seven bells out of each other. And I I think you get stories like that in the smallest communities it doesn't matter whether there's ghosts and apparitions and that's an actual thing but the story itself is beautiful and that kind of originality you don't really see elsewhere in your bigger kind of areas um 
and I, I just love it because I, d- I literally described in some of the I've read um, accounts from like the 1800s and they're burly monks and you just I, I, you never think of burly monks I know you get like Friar Tuck being a bit like yeah. short and chubby but you have like Ragnar Lodbrok types <laughs> like I just think it's brilliant they're a really hench monk there's something yeah, threatening yeah. about a hench monk <laughs> there isn't a, yeah like Dolph Lundgren-esque yeah. kind of like you, you can turn down like someone who's timid and just like you know, you, you know, you should consider Christ and, and yeah. a lot of because when someone comes and towers over you, like, oh, I, uh, I don't okay. know, maybe I do need to consider yeah. Christ. <laughs> Christ gets you swole, so yeah, I, I love that story. And and like I said, it's it's such a small area, but mm-hmm. you would like there's a, there's another one. Um, one of the weirdest ghosts I've ever come across is there's a little village called Hodnet, mm-hmm. and Hodnet again, there's not much there it's it's lovely it's picturesque but there isn't much and it's little country lanes winding to get to the the center and there was a farmer that lived on the outskirts of Hodnet and he had a really unremarkable life he didn't do anything above what most people do he was a good farmer and he was nice and just kind of lived his life until he died and for some reason he haunts the area still but not in his own form as a man with a horse's head Okay. And there's no reason why he would. Uh, but yeah, he's been seen even, I think the last reports I read were from like the early 2000s of this chap just wandering with a horse's head. And I like to think that like maybe he'd gone to wherever we go afterwards and the guy at the pearly gate or whatever was like, oh no, sir, you, you're not quite good enough to come to heaven, but you can choose your form. You can be like the, the sexiest man. You can be whatever you want. And he looked at him and was like, oh, can you give me a horse's head? that's you know it's just bizarre and yeah i think that's there's a there's a beauty to that i mean i think that kind of brings us to a good point to ask of i mean obviously the way you talk about uh folklore and the way you talk about mythology and all those kinds of things are you do you see yourself as kind of a believer of these things i liked i'm i'm probably one of those where i believe but i'm like a skeptic so I, I I'm naturally you could point at a tree outside and go that's a god Amy worship it and I'd go oh that's cool yeah I'll go and have a look um I certainly think that there are experiences that are out of the ordinary and that can be deemed as paranormal mm-hmm. um I've had a few experiences myself that I couldn't explain away um like when I was a child there was I used to have terrible nightmares when I was a child um and then my brother was born and it was made worse. <laughs> but I, I used to have terrible nightmares and my mum and dad ended up having the landing light on and me sleeping with the door open. Mm-hmm. And then it was supposed to be when I was about five or six, I was old enough to remember there used to be this figure stood in my doorway and he was in full, like what I would now know as World War II army right. regalia dark hair parted in like an old fashioned kind of way. And he was always smiling whenever he was there he was always smiling and through seeing him I was able to sleep soundly and I I did have a a vivid imagination when I was a kid I was always looking for fairies and goblins and stuff but years later when my nan um, a Welsh nan ended up going into a care home we were clearing out her stuff and I found this picture and I said to my dad who who is this like you know hairs on the back of your yeah. um the neck stand up and he said oh that's your, your granddad now my welsh granddad died before i was born and right. he always said to my dad that he would he would be able to he'd see his grandchildren and my dad's children and the chap that i was looking at was 
the same fella that was stood in my doorway. Right. And after he'd passed, my nan boxed everything up and put it away because she needed to, she couldn't have anything that reminded yeah. her of her husband. And I think that's the experience that's possibly the hardest for me to understand and to explain without a paranormal context. Yeah. Because I'd never seen an image of my grandfather. I'd never, you know, as my dad said that they were kind of locked away. He, he was almost forbidden to have them out and my dad didn't have any himself but I know it was the same fella so I think that's always kind of given me a belief in the paranormal yeah. but I would need to experience more in order to fully say yes I'm a believer and I think there are things that can be explained away I think um I do think like buildings and and places can have imprints of memories and imprints of events that happen there, like um, the battlefield in Shrewsbury. Mm -hmm. Within two years of the Battle of Shrewsbury, there was said to be ghosts and apparitions of uh, soldiers wandering the battlefield, big Mm -hmm. groups. And I think something like that is more like a memory or an imprint than an actual physical entity. Um, but I, I think ghost stories are a really good way of seeing attitudes of the time of events. Cause I think a ghost comes up when something happens that's very traumatic to a community. Um, so yeah. a lot of the ghost stories I've dealt with have been really quite horrific murders or, um, or really horrible things that have happened to young women. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like the community cannot believe that that thing has happened and it's their way of hoping that a little bit of that person still remains um so they interpret the bumps in the night to be that young girl that got murdered or they interpret you know the the sounds of the wind as as her screams and things like that and I think they're very it's a very human thing to do to believe in ghosts and to try and, and to talk about ghosts um so yes, I do. I, I probably would say I'm. I'm probably like seventy thirty. I probably do believe there's something going on, but I need a bit more proof. <laughs> yeah, I think it's. I think it's something which comes up whenever I, I kind of think about folklore or when you discuss folklore, especially with people who aren't necessarily interested in it. You know, yeah. they, they see the world as history, and history is how we we came to be, and then we've got modern day, and they're, they're in the modern yeah. day, and that's what they care about. Of that, that question of folklore always comes up. Of you know, at what level is it? we're feeding it to for folklore to exist or is there something supernatural and someone believes yeah. that it's completely supernatural and everything else is interpreted from it and i i yeah it, I, I always find it greatly interesting because i'm 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 a hundred percent skeptic in the sense of i yeah. don't, don't believe anything but i know from my experiences of people the power of imagination and yeah collective imagination and i think like you say it, you know a community can come together with a collective imagination and 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 create something yeah Yeah. create something which exists in order to to deal with trauma in order to kind of deal with that mention yeah oh definitely I think there's there's a really good example in Iron Bridge um now Iron Bridge has got loads of ghosts um it's there's more probably more ghosts than people in the area um but one of the the coolest ghosts in the area is this ghost barge that sails down the river seven directly underneath the the iron bridge and it's meant to be um kind of being driven by this inhumanly tall hooded black cloaked figure who's driving the boat down the river seven and it's meant to be piled high with corpses Mm -hmm. apart from that being a really good concept for like a 
metal album it's 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 really cool um and then it disappears just past the river uh, the iron bridge sorry and then there's an area called jackfield um which is further down the river jackfield in itself it's got loads of photo like the devil's meant to chill out there sometimes um but this ghost barge returns and it's seen on the riverbank piling the, the corpses onto the bank and that's cool in itself like it's just a cool ghost story but when you know a bit more about the history behind the area um it's even better so there's during the 1600s when the plague hit the however many like third time or whatever that whole area of jackfield was actually a mass grave and shropshire hit the the plague hit shropshire like all the plagues hit shropshire quite hard but the one in the 1600s i think about a third of the population ended up dying and the main travel route to get the bodies to the plague pit was the river seven so there's this idea of this ghost story is it an actual physical you know ghost story is there a ghost probably not but it's the idea of this collective memory this collective consciousness that goes back to a time when people would have remembered that barge going down the river seven carrying their loved ones yeah. and it's continued it's become an it's become a, a entity in itself that memory and i think things like that are really cool yeah i, I always liked the idea of because obviously for the general mindset ghosts are always seen as somewhere with unfinished business they yeah. stick around seriously unfinished business and i always like to think of it in terms of it's not necessarily the person who died business it's the people who knew them yeah they're not dealing with them passing on and it's yeah. their unfinished business which keeps them alive makes them a myth and then a legend so like you said before with where something you know they don't want to let go yeah yeah and I think there's certainly a lot of evidence with the Shropshire ghosts for that kind of thing um you know we there were some stories that would that are horrific anyway um but would be horrific to a small rural community like there was one story I read um of a young girl getting beaten up abused and, and actually beheaded mm-hmm. um and that sort of thing in a modern context would be hard to deal with but when you're in an isolated small community and you know that you know, yes, there was people that come and go, but that would be done by somebody in your community that you may have familial ties with or, you know, go to church with. You don't want to accept that that thing's happened and you don't want to accept that that young girl has gone. You want to try and keep a little piece of her away. So I think, you know, that goes back to what you're saying. Yeah, I think what what, what always gets me interesting with these kinds of things is how there there seems to be a drop-off for ghosts in terms yeah. of modern history and ghosts which exist past World War II. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I would agree, yeah. And it is, it's like, you know, I'd love to see some ghosts from the 70s or hear, <laughs> hear some ghost stories from, like, you know, some 80s people who were just yeah. like, you know, are oh, you seen the guy who's like some punk and was in, you know, this nightclub and he goes there every night and dances. And I'm like, I'd love to know that. Yeah, it would be cool, that, yeah. But it makes me question, like... Um, in terms of obviously as a society how we've learned to deal with these things and whether we've learned to deal with these things better or whether we just ignore it (laughs) yeah yeah I would yeah I think we definitely I think there is almost going back to that idea of oh stiff upper lip if we don't Mm. talk about this or we don't really conceptualize it that much then it won't particularly I think post World War One I think there was such an outpouring of collective grief and that you know you didn't want to be grieving for your son 
yeah. publicly because you knew that seven or eight people on the street would be grieving in the same way. So you got things like memorials and war memorials, <coughs> but you weren't going to be seen walking around in black crying and things like that. And I think there is kind of a sweeping under the rug, mm-hmm. um, which has meant there's a, there's a die off of ghost stories. Like there are some from like world war one, world war two kind of time. But I think definitely I modern day, I've never heard of like a 2006 Sean Paul esque ghost I mean, yet. If, if, you know, if, if- Sean Paul, like, has <laughs> come, come around and dance. I mean, yeah, we all. I mean, yeah, I, I think what what I, I find interesting, kind of like parallel now, is obviously you know we're in a pandemic. Yeah, we're in a plague of momentous proportions, which we've never seen in the modern age, and wondering how we as a society will deal with that. Because when I think of um, like third world countries, which are still dealing with pandemics and still dealing with plagues, they still have a very strong mythos of everybody and that's how they deal and that that becomes almost part of the religion and part of the things which they the stories which they tell one another whereas in western society we you know we abandoned that whether whether that was because we we've started to abandon religion on a much larger scale i don't know yeah i i think there's been several movements towards like i think the abandonment of religion probably did contribute because Mm. a lot of folklore has links to religion um you know we're not gonna yeah yeah a lot of monks so many so many i read a book once that said that shropshire didn't have many ghost monks and i'm like well i can i know at least 12 yeah (laughs) (laughs) at least 12 and two of them are burly um but so like shropshire has a lot of devil folklore yeah um i have always been interested in the devil folklore because of my connection with my granddad um but i don't view that in the same way that say he would he Mm when he was a boy and he was telling that story to other people that terrified him because he had that Christian worldview and he had that Christian connection. Whereas I've grown up in an era of heavy metal and tenacious D and, you know, that kind of thing. I don't see the devil as this scary figure. I think it's a fascinating concept. And I think the interplay between humans and this idea of absolute sin is interesting, but I retell these stories from Shropshire as not cautionary tales. I tell them, you know as oh look look at this cool story yeah we we, we've it's evolved in in the reasons we tell it hasn't it like yeah it's it's you know as you say back in the day it was don't do this because the devil will come and don't do this because of this and whereas now we're like entertainment this will keep me keep me going for two hours to watch this documentary about satan and yeah (laughs) and i think um I've noticed through the pandemic because I obviously I moved back to folklore and mm-hmm. my interest during the pandemic and I can see that a lot of people just through social media and stuff are interacting with things like folklore Thursday and yeah. and and just talking about folklore and and making folk horror and and that kind of thing just maybe as a result of the pandemic even things like little cute plague doctor cuddly toys are now everywhere and you know everyone wants a plague doctor and i think it's our way of dealing with it a little bit maybe yeah. we it we i think there's almost something there's something like what i'd say is very british about our, our interest in the morbid yeah but because uh, we're very standoffish as a nation uh, i think as you said earlier is like we're, we're very stiff upper lip we don't discuss things. We don't discuss death. We don't discuss other things. But at the same time, we take something extremely morbid and then we go, okay, well, we could make this entertaining. Yeah. And we yeah, can make we... this something which will keep me comfortable. <laughs> yeah, I will. In- yeah, I think we do. I think even that 
links to our our fascination with serial killers and yeah. you know the, the Victorian era in general has a lot to blame for stuff and I think you know that idea of the penny dreadful and the you know Jack the Ripper and and everything we are fascinated by it and it's always that curious kind of oh what would it be like to completely just let go and and we don't want to because we like our cups of tea and our you know our comforts and our we're not talking about our feelings but mm-hmm the darker side of life fascinates us death fascinates us murderers serial killers the devil anything that's a bit you know you wouldn't talk about in polite company is fascinating and you know that's why people why people turn to slayer and heavy metal and Mm. goth and goth culture and stuff is because it's a way of indulging that curiosity without going completely nuts and you know trying to be jack the ripper (laughs) i think as as well like kind of ladies to say you know when it comes to especially Satanism and, and involvement in music and involvement in tele- television, when you do get into it, I mean, from my personal point of view, there was always that level of this is forbidden. Yeah. It's forbidden. I don't necessarily believe in it, but I know other people are afraid of it. Yeah. Yeah. So if I can touch it, then it means that I've gone further than they have ever gone and I've survived. And yeah. it's that level of escapism. Of, well, yeah. I'm doing something dark, but it's not really dark. Because no, it's we not. know it's just music and uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> we're kind of pushed like the lights. But at the same time, the people who, people who hate me and the people who think that I'm different, they would never go down this road. Yeah. Oh, look. Yeah. And yeah. it gives you that level of status, doesn't it? And I think, yeah, especially with things like Satanism and witchcraft, the occult, the the people that are genuinely practices and I I you know take my hat off to them and then there's people like me that have dabbled and been like oh yeah look at me I'm so cool like being 15 in a goth shop with like a Slayer t-shirt on like I'm the coolest and it's like in reality no stop it <laughs> everybody's bought the uh, the white magic book and and lit a few candles and be like yeah, yeah I could really get into wickedism like, yeah look at me <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then about halfway through, you think, this kind of feels ridiculous. Yeah, um, yeah. it's time consuming. Why am I wearing a bed sheet? Yeah. yeah, it's a lot of time to spend. Like this is the thing, I've never looked down on anyone who does get into rituals or anything like that because the level of discipline it requires oh, yeah. to do it. I'm just yeah. like, I don't have that attention span. <laughs> no, this is this is not happening. Yeah. It's yeah, we in a way it's, I, I I do like the round circle of it, of, of folklore be you know, like obviously it was formed or invented in a way to kind of deal with things whether whether those things are real or not is as you say it doesn't really matter it's, it's it was a way to deal with things and now there's been a resurgence like you said there's been a resurgence of people who's interested in paranormal and things which can't be explained yeah. almost because there's a level in comfort because yeah. we have so much information right now yeah so it's it is i think particularly with the the move to folk horror and the rural and the 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 the, the folklore of the rural it's almost a form of escapism because yes we are looking at things that are horrible like you know um there's a there's a folk tale in Shropshire about the devil and there's a road called Car- like it's called the devil's highway it's near Cardington and the devil said to be there in his full devilish form with big arms and hooves and whatnot and if he likes you and thinks you're a good person he will let you pass but he'll give you a bit of a scare but if he doesn't like you or he thinks that you're a bad person, he'll skin you alive and beat you to a pulp. And stories like that, we almost get a level of, oh, that's really, that's how quaint and that's really cool. But that's a horrific thing to be getting excited about. But we still tell these stories. Yeah. And I think I think the, the rural and, and rural areas still hold a level of mystique to a lot of people, uh, particularly if you've not grown up in that kind of, it, it's almost 
to me it's almost like you've got the two contrasting images of the countryside you've got the pastoral and the folk horror mm-hmm. and they both exist in unison but people tend to sway more and even things like escape to the country it's you know nobody's going to summer summer island and wearing the animal masks but there's this fascination with the the rural society and i think that's driven a lot of interest in folklore yeah i think i know yeah i always say that like the the picturesque view of rural society and, and country life and country people <laughs> i always find very threatening yeah. i find that way more threatening than a group of thugs in a town or a city <laughs> yeah yeah i would agree um i yeah yeah i actually used to work um i've worked a lot in homeless shelters and mm-hmm. and with young homelessness and give me a bunch of track suited young lads any day over some of the people you would see in the countryside um, i mean there's a there's a saying in shropshire that shropshire people are shropshire born shropshire bred strong in the arm and thick in the head so it's like well that just means that they've got nothing to tell them that it's not okay to beat someone up or something um i think you could do a whole folk horror thing in itself about that just saying yeah it's, it's uh, there's almost something i think maybe it's because when you when you meet people from town and cities that it, there's a level of you wear everything when you sleep. You know? Yeah. You know, so, yeah, this is my house. I live on this street and this, this is what I do for a living. Whereas when you get onto the countryside, there's, there's a, like a, like a veil and you're like, I don't know what you keep in your land. You yeah, have a lot of do? land. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? Um, especially with things like my, like my auntie's got quite a bit of land mm. and she was into shooting and countryside sport, blood sports, basically. Yeah. Um, but sometimes you'd go to a house and there'd be loads of whatever they'd shot hanging from trees. Mm-hmm. And obviously that is to sort out the meat and that kind of thing. But as a child, if you're walking into like a land and there's a there's a tree full of corpses, it's a bit kind of don't you dare come here kind of thing. And it is, there's a lot of very brutal things in the countryside. It's a very hard way of life, particularly in the past. And mm-hmm. I think that's why, I think that's probably why a lot of folklore is linked to the devil and because you can't explain why your child died in winter but if the devil took him or some evil spirit took him it makes more sense than you know life's just cruel and I think a lot of folklore does come from the idea that trying to understand the cruelty of the world around us yeah I I, well what's kind of kind of occurring to me as discussing this is that this maybe this idea that as a as a society and as, as human beings we need like necess- like things like folklore are almost a necessary thing yeah i would say so and i think yeah. um even when we move out of folklore and you look at things like urban legends mm-hmm. and even things like bigfoot in in other countries and um cryptids and stuff we need something to focus our energy on and our attention on yeah. um and i think well- it, it kind of it's it inspires like f- uh, fantasy and fantasy literature and like that kind of thing but we almost need something that's a bit odd to kind of go right okay well and I think I've found that a lot of people have maybe one thing that is their focus so like cryptids might be somebody's focus or UFOs um I don't know much about UFOs it's never something I've looked into but some people will be convinced that that they exist and that's a thing but then other people will be convinced that like Bigfoot's a thing and then you've got people convinced that there's a ghost and I think it's a very human thing to look to the unexplained and try and give it a face 
Yeah, I was, I was just I kind of thinking back to what you're saying about the idea of urban legends of and this this resurgence we've seen on the interest of folklore. Of when I think of when I think 20 years ago, back to like the millennium. Oh god, that was 20 years ago. Um, <laughs> so yeah, when you think like 20 21 years ago or so, when it was by the millennium and and things were kind of I don't like don't really remember folklore being hugely mentioned back then. It, it no. wasn't really thing. But I remember urban legends being huge back then. Yeah, even things like creepy pastas and stuff. They yeah. were. I remember they being a big thing when I was in my teens. And and it was all like Slenderman. Tech, well, it was all like tech orientated. Yeah, and it was. It was the fears of what the internet could hold, and it was machines turning against us. And X Files obviously was. Yeah. The thing to watch because no one knew what the internet lawnmower man and downloading yourself and all all the great technology which came out of it. And I think in the past 20 years, obviously, as we've seen, we've got undergone a massive change in the amount of information we've got, but our comfort level with that level of information has changed as well. Yeah. And to the point where we're no longer that afraid of it because we use it every single day. So we've then reverted back to folklore because yeah. we couldn't explain it. And that's something to tell a story about. Yeah. Yeah. And they are good stories. I think even if you take away everything, they're some of them are just bloody good stories and some of them provide an awful lot of entertainment. Um, and some of them really tap into the the fantasy element. And, you know, if you've got an interest in fantasy in, in like giants and dwarves and goblins and demons and that kind of thing, you're naturally going to look at folklore and go, Oh no, that's quite cool. And, you know, um, but I definitely think it forms a level of comfort. And I think because we haven't looked at it for so long, it's almost an untapped source as well. And I've found that particularly with Shropshire, um, there are certain folklores that we hear a lot about. Um, so we we hear a lot about things like selkies and mermaids and dragons in Wales and, you know, that kind of thing. But you don't necessarily hear about other things, Um so even giant folklore, I've found the folklore of giants isn't uh, that represented. There's there's things in Cornwall, yeah. um, but one of the, the biggest things in Shropshire is the fact that the Reekin was supposedly put there by an angry Welsh giant that mm-hmm. didn't really like Shrewsbury that much. Um, and I think that links to when you're in that, that area, the, the area around the Reekin, it's the biggest thing you can see. Yeah. So back in the day when, you know, it would be, understandable that this the biggest thing you could see would be put there by say a giant or something um and I do think that there's been an interest not just in folklore like fairies and stuff but the underrepresented stuff like as if we're searching a little bit for these new store these new old stories yeah we're on constant strive for content <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which would link to kind of the internet because you know, with things like TikTok and, you know, Facebook and things, there's a constant stream of of content, whether or not it's valuable content is another thing, but there's a constant stream of that content. So yeah. we are constantly now searching for things that we've not heard before or seen before. I'm fascinated. We're, we're always fascinated when we find something which isn't online. Yeah. When, oh, yeah. You, you read a book and you're like, oh, I've read this story. And like, quick Google about it. And you're like, I can't find anything about this. Yeah. Where's this come from? That, yeah. That, that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Why, why Google? Yeah. yeah. I, I remember fairly recently, I found a book and I tried to look up the author of the book. And there was nothing about the author. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't know what to do with this information. Yeah, what do I do? Is, Is it my real? responsibility to now put this online? Is that yeah. What I do? <laughs> yeah. I found that with, with some of the stuff um 
I always quite like it when I've put like a, a folk tale online or I've written about something and someone goes, oh, I haven't heard of this one. And particularly if they're in Shropshire, I'm like, haha, I am now the king of Shropshire. I know all the facts. Just call me the fact wizard. I've become <laughs> the archivist of Shropshire, just by yeah. nature of researching things. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, it's... It is a fascinating hole to dive into in folklore and why we do. And I, I think the the only real like outstanding question around it is, is always along the idea of, you know, when you tell folklore and you tell mythos and there is a story to tell and there's usually a lesson in some, some capacity and they're usually very dark. And yeah. You don't tend to get stories with a happy ending <laughs> no no I, I couldn't really think of many. Um, yeah. There's a, there's a few that, like the Reeking Giant, for instance, mm-hmm. um, it's the story of this this Welsh giant and he hates Shrewsbury, he hates Shropshire, absolutely hates it. Um, but he has a pact with the mayor of mm-hmm. Shrewsbury and, and the mayor of Shrewsbury sends him an influx of young girls, doesn't ask any real questions about what the giant's going to be doing with them and the giant doesn't crush the town to death. Uh, and that goes on for a while until this one girl decides that when she finds out she's going to be a sacrificial lamb, she takes some special herbs with her Mm -hmm. and actually poisons the giant, sends him into a deep, deep slumber and gives him a bit of an headache afterwards. She sees all the skulls of of these young girls that he's eaten strewn all over the cave, runs back to Shrewsbury, gives the mayor an ear bashing about sacrificing young women, (laughs) um, which she probably shouldn't do and tells him that he's a cannibal. Um, So it all transpires that the, the giant wakes up, as a sore head finds out that he's been rattled and he's, he's not going to get any more tasty young women anymore. And he marches to Shrewsbury and decides he's going to flatten the place. So he gets his big giant shovel, puts this big mound of earth on the shovel and is walking. And he, he happens to meet an old cobbler who's walking with a big pile of shoes on his back, big bag of shoes, sorry. And the cobbler outwits him and tells right. him that basically Shrewsbury's miles away and he'll never get there. And he, he says to the giant, he says, well, you know, I'm I'm an old man now with a big white beard and look at my wrinkles. Mm-hmm. When I was young, I set out on this journey and all of these shoes actually fit fit my fit my feet and they were they were all brand new right. now I've worn them all to the end and you you're on the same journey, pal, basically. Um, and then the giant gets really angry, stomps off chucks his shovel crushes a village you know in the in the meantime but creates yeah. the reeking um and then stomps off back to wales never to be seen again and it's like that's not a happy ending it's not a happy ending for the village that get crushed it's not yeah. a happy ending for all the young girls that got eaten but it's a, it's like a power of wits kind of yeah. thing so i think that's the closest i can think of that you can get to a kind of a happy ending yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think there's definitely there's definitely a genre of folklore which is is, is along the lines of you know using your, your intelligence or, yeah. or defeating something which is almost undefeatable. Yeah, but using just like a trick or, or something yeah. like that. Sneaky, sneaky little trick. Yeah, and that's about as positive as you can. Yeah, get. as you're gonna get. You know, other than that, it's he's kind of universally a bit grim. <laughs> We're naturally just morbid people yeah. hunting down the most, you know, because it's not happening to us. Yeah. I guess it's the way we're looking at it. Like, yeah, you know, these people are dying. It doesn't matter, though. No. We're still here. You know? Yeah, look. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, yeah, I think it's, it's an interest, definitely an interesting topic to kind of dive into. And I, th- I think, like you say, there's always new tales to find. Oh, yeah, definitely. And there's also new tales to reinterpret as well. 
mm-hmm. um because like i said i'm not in the i mean i i'm put my hat out to people that do study folklore and that do make an academic kind of um world of folklore and are in the academic world of folklore but i though i've got a degree i don't see myself as an academic i see myself as someone just telling good stories um and I think there's always stories to tell and I think there's always stories to reinterpret. I'm not overly bothered about finding the truest form of a tale and, you know, recounting it exactly as it was recounted in the 1800s. I want to put my own spin on it. I want to put my own kind of slant on it and I want to interpret it and see how it feels for me and what it means to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's a true form of folklore. And I think that's, how say my granddad or my great granddad or my my family would have seen these tales because you know I know for a fact that the stories I've told were ones that people in my family say 200 years ago 100 years ago would have known but would they have recognized the way I tell it probably not um and it constantly evolves like every generation adds a new layer to these things um every generation adds a new slant to it and I think it's nice to be part of that puzzle and part of that tradition yeah encourages that that tradition continuance and yeah connection back to the people yeah yeah i think that's really important i think that's a great point to round this out on yeah yeah <laughs> it's been obviously it's been lovely to have you where can thank you where can people find you working um so my i'm on twitter as goblin egg but the o is a little uh zero right you know goblins are cool um, and my um blog is nearly knowledgeable history at blogspot.com uh, but it's fine you can see it on my twitter as well i'll link it all up in the description oh, thank as well. you it's <laughs> just so people know but no it's been lovely to love to catch up with you and learn all about the monks and... oh thank you really enjoyed it thank you for coming on and we'll talk to these guys later yeah <laughs>